you would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We are uh, tying up some loose ends in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, in a section, kind of in a review, as in an overview of the nobility of forgiveness. Um, I thought I could do these 10 points in two weeks. I thought wrong. But I should be able to finish it up next week. Um, provided you guys stay with me today. <laughs> Let's pray and then I will pick this up and you'll see where we're at. Father, only you are holy. And uh, Lord, in a, in a day and an age that uh, we are called by your name, labor for your kingdom. Uh, Father, um, please let us rest full weight on the fact that you and you alone are holy. Father, you have set before each of us a task. And yet, Father, you have done exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could have already thought or imagined. But I beg you now to open our eyes, to open our souls to the amazement of forgiveness. And that, Father, your people, understanding what they've been forgiven, joyfully pursue forgiveness in our own lives. In Christ's name, amen. I shared with you uh, that I'd taken nine weeks, nine or ten weeks, to expound 5 through 11. And um, then as I was traveling back to Washington, D.C., um, it was apparent that uh, I have a book that is made up of 66 books and everything in it is forgiveness. <laughs> I mean, whether you start with the incident in the garden and the animals that were killed to clothe Adam and Eve or even to the point of the conclusion of the age at the three-and-a-half-year mark where people are coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through a horrific time on this planet. Everything in this book is based on forgiveness. And that's kind of amazing. And yet I look in the body of Christ today in the years. Uh, Stephanie pointed out last week, uh, she's one of these that keeps track of stuff like that. I didn't miss it. It was just things I don't pay attention to. Um, Last Sunday was my 16th year as the senior pastor of this church. You guys are brave hearts. That's all I can tell you. Uh, and then when I thought about it, this is the only church that I have been in since 1983. Uh, the church that I was saved in and baptized in burned down. I'm, I'm sure there's something there. I just don't like to think about it real hard. And then I've been in this church ever since. Uh, so uh, I guess that makes me an, an oddity. <laughs> I know. There's a lot more makes you an oddity than that, bud. <laughs> but, um, but when I think about the years that I have been in this community, in this church, uh, my ministry in the body of Christ, one of the things that I have seen on a regular basis is a lack of forgiveness by saints in some cases. So I wanted to review this, and I've got 10 things that I've been going through. I got through two last week. 
because the nobility of forgiveness of the first one that we looked at last week is you are more like God when you forgive than any other thing you do. Second thing is, is that forgiveness, the nobility of forgiveness is the fulfillment of the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not murder. And I look at the body of Christ today and or my um, society globally, and we have touted and we exalt vengeance. Um, you, you know, I remember 9-11. I'm sure as many of you do. And, and you have that shock of about 48 hours or 72 hours. And then you started saying, give us something to bomb. And if you're really honest with yourself, since Cain and Abel, it's sort of been that way, hasn't it? And if you're really honest with it, at the conclusion of the age, the world armies all get together and they think they're going to whip Jesus. Not a lot of things have changed. The price of vengeance is very, very high. And it will fill a culture with hatred, bitterness, animosity, and wrath. Beyond what it does to the society is one of the things that I, I, I've been thinking about is what does it do to the individual? Now, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about the per, I'm talking about the person who refuses to forgive. Okay. One thing that it does, two things that it, and it's not your outline. These, these things I want you to think about. One thing it does is that it imprisons the people in their past. They can never get on with life. As long as you fail to forgive the offender, you are shackled to them. You are shackled to that past act. And that pain is kept alive. And you just keep picking at an open sore and you keep it from healing. And you are sentencing yourself to feel as bad now as you did then. And guess what? With unforgiveness, there is no relief in sight. A wise man made this statement one time. Choosing to love to hate. And that's what unforgiveness is. Second thing is, the person who refuses to forgive becomes a victim of bitterness. They, they have a, a, an infectious cancer in their heart. And it produces harsh thoughts, memories that will distort their entire life. Anger dominates them. It becomes unchecked. It becomes emotional. And they waste time entertaining ideas of vengeance. Their joy is gone. Every conversation, every platform that they get is a time for slander. Peace is gone. 
And the life is filled with turmoil. And if you don't believe me, perhaps you should look in a mirror. You know the people, you've run into them. You may have even been one who carried a burden, who carried a heartache, who carried, you just don't understand what they did to me. Which brings me to my third point on the nobility of forgiveness. Okay. Whoever has offended you has offended God more. That's the nobility of forgiveness. And if God, who is the most holy, has forgiven the offender against him, can you, the least holy, forgive the offender against you? I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're really honest with it, it's a, it's a simple progression. It is reasoning from the greater to the lesser. Verse 5 said, If any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me. Any wrong done against me, Paul says, is a small thing. And it doesn't really matter what the wrong was. It was just a small thing. And it doesn't matter if it hurt your heart. It doesn't matter if it cost you financially. It doesn't matter if it brought pain unbearable. It is just a small thing. Why should I take it personally, Paul says, when I'm a nobody? Verse 10, But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also, for indeed... What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes. This man had attacked the character and integrity of the Apostle Paul. When you think about what the Apostle Paul was doing in the birth of the church and the Gentile nations, you're like, man, that's pretty serious stuff. And he says, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Why should I take it personally? See, Paul understood and he lived in a way that he had no vendetta on his part. He had no need to punish someone to make Paul happy. He understood that. Paul could forgive someone else of a small offense because he had been forgiven such a massive offense by God. He said he was a blasphemer. He was a murderer. He calls him the chief of sinners. And yet he understood that he had been forgiven. I mean, it's a look into the man's heart if you really want to be honest with yourself. And you know what? It's rather easy to forgive those who offended Paul. Because when he looks at his offense towards God, how great of forgiveness was he needing? The most holy, the most supremely offended is God. Psalm 51, David had had a man murdered and had committed adultery with his wife. And in Psalm 51, David says, against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned. Now, you might think that if you had a chance to ask Uriah, what do you think? But he understood it. He understood it. See, since 
since we are already so massively forgiven, why can it not be in our ability to forgive? When God is the object of that offense, He forgives. I mean, read your Bible. A cursory reading of Scripture, you see a forgiving God by grace and mercy over and over and over again. Who are we? Unholy, unworthy, undeserving to imagine that we should not be offended if any, and if we are, we really have some right of unending vengeance? We, we, as unholy as we are, we would lack forgiveness. So we forgive because God forbids anger. We forgive because God forbids us to hate. We forgive because God forbids an attitude of vengeance. We forgive because we have been forgiven. The one who is, when you, th- you think about the one who is the most offended ever, who is it? It's God. Cannot we forgive the one who offends us? And we forgive because it's Godlike. And we are his children. The fourth thing in the nobility of forgiveness sort of expands on the third. It is only reasonable that those who have been forgiven the greater amount of sin can forgive the lesser sin. If you go to Matthew 18, you know this story. I'll go back to it again. Peter, I love Peter. You know what I love about Peter? He's not afraid to ask the dumb questions. Okay. And he asked the questions. How often shall my, sub, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? That's the question. And Peter says, you know what? I'm going to slide in here. I got this down. See, the rabbis teach... Four times. Then you don't have to forgive after the fourth time. Cool. Peter says, I'll forgive seven times. You know, that's, that's God's number. That's, that's got to be it right there. You know what Jesus' reply is? Seven times 70. And Jesus makes this statement. For this reason, verse 23, chapter 18, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand that? Do you understand if you're saved today, you are in the kingdom of heaven? Right now. Okay. The kingdom of heaven is what? May be compared to the king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Okay. Who would be the king in this case? God. Who would be the slaves? Us. And God says it's time to settle the accounts. He settled him out, and one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, that's hard for you and I to uh, 
to understand. Okay, 10,000 talents is, you know, wow, that's a lot. It would be similar to you saying, I will pay $1 trillion of the national debt. And I'll do it in my lifetime. Now, you may not understand what that means, but if you take it the birth of Christ to date, and you spent a million dollars a day from the birth of Christ to today, you cannot spend a trillion dollars. All right? That would be a similar response to someone who owes you 10,000 talents. That's amazing. And the man had no way to do it. Verse 26, the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me. I will repay you everything. (laughs) But what did he do? He fell flat on his face and said, hey. See what I can do. It says that the Lord felt compassion and he released him and forgave the debt. The entire debt. Hmm. I mean, even if he sold everything that he had, understand he's a slave. His possessions would have been minuscule. He begs for forgiveness. You know what I call this? Ignorant penance. Well, it is. And you know what? I believe that if you guys are really honest with yourself, you've all fell into it. Do you really understand the debt that you owe God for your sin? Just, I just want you to think about it. Well, you know, it was by grace and, you know, I was a sinner and, and all the rest of it. This is a picture of God. And, and, and I am convinced that in the body of Christ this day, and probably since the birth of the church, most, if not all, sinners do not understand the vastness of the debt they owe or had owed. I'm convinced of it. Because if you're really honest with yourself, ah, you know, and I don't know all of your time that when God got a hold of you and said, you're mine, and that moment... You were saved. I remember mine. I remember mine distinctly. But you know what? Even to this day, I do not completely comprehend what I owed him. I just don't understand it. But I knew at the moment that I begged him to forgive me, that I went in with no deals. I said, you know what? (laughs) I've made a mess of this. Forgive me. I believe that this illustration here is true, that genuinely people understand that they have this debt at that moment. They are awakened to it. Uh, They do not understand how big this debt is. And there is a vast amount of ignorance on the holiness of who is God. You know, I was discussing it this morning in Sunday school. We kind of got Jesus figured out as this shoulder length hair. Cut well, blue eyes. I'm still not with the blue eyes is, but, and, you know, beard, will trim, cut, and all the rest of it. And that's our view of God. And that ain't God. God, in His mercy and His grace, forgives the unbelievable. But what's amazing about this, he forgave the debt, and then the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. A uh, hundred denarii is about a few months' work. 
Um, and he seized him. And he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him. Sounds familiar. Have patience with me. I will repay you. But he was unwilling and he went and he threw him in prison until he could pay back what was owed. Even when this person who owed him a few months wages pleads for forgiveness. And the man who had just been forgiven of an unpayable debt will not forgive the small debt. See, that's the whole point. God has forgiven a massive debt. I, you know, you, I, I, I really wish we could grab this. That, you know, I remember one time a guy was telling me, he says, you know what? If sin just had a smell to it, you know, we could. And I thought, what? I don't want my sin to have a smell to it. Because you know what would happen? You'd get used to the smell. Uh, I had a cousin who raised pigs. Hogs for, and there's an odor there, buddy. And yet he acted like it wasn't. Now it just didn't matter when if the wind changed. Huh? You needed to get downwind, even if you were standing out in a field. I'll go to the other side. Um. Do you understand? From the time you were born into the world, you were an offense. To God. Everything you thought. Everything you did. Everything you said. Fell short of his glory. Everything. Offended him. About you. And he is. Infinitely sensitive. To every iniquity. You and I can't keep track of our own sins. Think about today. I know I was the only one sinning today. But if you guys had morning like I had. You would have sinned too. So how in the world do I keep track of the sins against me? But we try. And yet the thing is, is that God feels every blow that comes against his glory. He therefore has accumulated. Shall we call it a mass of iniquities? All of them that you have ever committed. All that have ever offended God from the time of your birth. The full accumulation of wicked wretchedness of our lives is felt by God. All of it. Not one jot nor tittle has been missed. Brothers and sisters, that is the unpayable debt. Before you were a Christian, everything in your life and everything about your life offended 
a holy God. Now, most of you are going to say, well, wait a minute, I was kind of created in His image and I was... Everything. Everything. You hated Him. And you were His enemy. You know, I, I hear people make this statement. Well, you don't understand. I've made peace with God. That ain't the issue. The issue is, has he made peace with you? Because he could care less. Do you realize how arrogant that is? I'm going to make peace with God. Brilliant idea. There wasn't anything good in you. And there wasn't any of us good. And I don't care what degree it is. You know, some people would look at my life and say, yeah, but you were. Because I had a, a person one time tell me, he said, well, Terry, you're, you came out of such blackness that, you know, when the light came on, it was great and shining. My response to that person was, perhaps you need to find that light. Because you may not have been a murderer, you may not have been a criminal, you may not have committed adultery, you may not have done a lot of things, but you still are an offense to a holy God on your best days. Yet, knowing that everything about us was an offense to God, in spite of all of that accumulated offense to him, that massive unaccountable debt against his holiness in one moment of faith in Christ Jesus he forgave it all instantaneously gone not to be remembered not to be brought up not to be acknowledged instantaneously you have been forgiven and it's all on the basis of the mercy and the grace that is his character. So, shall you who have been offended once, twice, what about three times? Even four? How about 490 times? Will you not forgive? What conduct is that? What gratitude is that? What is that mockery of forgiveness if you and I can't forgive? Well, you just don't understand the depth of the pain that person has inflicted upon me. Really? Perhaps you do not understand the depth of the pain and grief you inflicted on your creator. Somebody offends you once. I ain't doing letting them do that again. Somebody talks you into forgiving them. Okay, this one time. Jesus makes a statement here. Peter, you forgive seven times 70. I can see Peter sitting there. 190. I'm going to need a bigger book to keep track of this. 
And if he's got more than one friend, oh man, and they all get 490 times. I will ask one simple question. How many times has God forgiven you? Here's a really dumb question. How, now, I know that I'm probably the only one guilty of this, so pray for me. How many times has he forgiven you for the same repeated offense? I know that you guys, when you're convicted of it, I'm not doing that ever again. See, I always say that, and then I realize, oh, that was stupid. <laughs> and, and I'm talking about after you're saved. God is of a holier standard than we know and will know until we see him face to face. And yet God has completely forgiven us the worst kinds of ingratitude when you have been forgiven the greater amount of sins then how can you not forgive someone who offends you? When you won't forgive the lesser one, what kind of ugly attitude is that? Fifth thing. One, speaking of the nobility of forgiveness, one who does not forgive will not enjoy the love of other Christians. What? I know some of you are saying, I don't get the love of other Christians now. <laughs> so and it doesn't matter whether I forgive or not. Um, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, we know it because it is bitterness. And bitterness produces animosity, and animosity produces anger. And you can think you're hiding it, but you can usually count the wrinkles on your forehead. And know that you're not hiding it very well. And if you have unforgiveness then towards someone, you will forfeit the fellowship of the saints. How do I know that? I thought you would never ask. Verse 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. When they saw this slave forgiven this massive debt and he wouldn't forgive his fellow slave a debt, his associates said, uh, man, can you believe that? As soon as the other believers find out, and let me tell you something, an unforgiving heart is not really hard to spot. Okay? I mean, it gives a whole new meaning to wearing it out on your sleeve. But as soon as it was spotted, his fellow friends, friends of this guy who wouldn't forgive, they were grieved. And when they seen this, they knew what the response was and they did what? Reported to the Lord all that had happened. See, that is the church. That is what we call church discipline. They took the guy to the Lord. I want you to think about this for a second. This is an amazing parable. We read it and say, hey, we've been forgiven. And hey, this is, you know, God is really good. But there's more in this than what you and I are paying attention to. Because he's saying this is like the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven exists on the planet earth today. In what form? The church. 
And it says there that if you are in the church and you see a fellow slave of Christ in living in an attitude, an unforgiving heart, take them to the Lord. Take them to the Lord. You know, to use today's vernacular, you need to put that person on the top of the prayer chain. And by the way, you don't put them on top of the prayer chain for physical healing. You want the Lord to do something. Why? You know why? That unforgiving attitude in a believer in the body of Christ, you know what you can refer to it as? as Leaven. And what happens to leaven in the lump? And I know you guys have never been in a church that had a bunch of unforgiving people in it. It's a pleasant place. It's so wonderful. And you get one person who has this unforgiving attitude. And if it's not dealt with, guess what? It spreads. And you don't believe me? Then you need to walk with me. Because unforgiveness is probably my single greatest battle. Consistently in the body of Christ as a shepherd. That bitterness, that anger, that hatred, that unforgiveness stains the garment of the church. Um, as my youngest son would say, it's a bad influence. Yeah, it is. And they understood that they didn't want believers seeing that kind of attitude. So they went to the Lord. We need to do something with this guy. Instead of becoming those in the body of Christ who restore and hold up and pick up and lift up and comfort and courage. They became those who go to the Lord and ask the Lord to do something harsh to this individual. In order to bring him out or her out of her sin. One of the things that should happen in the church is when there is someone who carries the heart of unforgiveness. The believers should see that individual as leaven. Because you'll see them. They'll tell you how they were wronged. And then and sometimes they're really cute. They'll say, but don't you worry, I have forgiven. But I'm going to keep telling you week in and week out how I've been wronged. But don't you worry, I have forgiven. Well, you sure don't act like it. The sins that I have committed against my God, I am not going to see on some big screen at my day of glory. I, I, I see people believe that. You know, he's going to play it all up in front. You're going to get it. No, can't be. It's impossible. Why? There are no tears in heaven. And if I'm standing before a holy God and he's running my life back, I'm betting I'm crying. And it ain't going to be like tears of joy. But I see those people. And what you see in this text, that is instead of being a person who's restoring, blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah. But what about bringing the people out of sin? One of the things that should happen in a church is when someone carries this, 
then we know that it is a stain on the bride of Christ and it should be treated as such. Because you know what? One of the things that I have seen in the past, one of the greatest destroyers of unity in the body of Christ is unforgiveness. Someone causes a rift, a fracture, uh, an anger that is never... And once they step into this, you know what? It's never self-contained. It spreads to the people they talk to and becomes a thing that spreads the fractures and destroys the unity. This case of Paul and Second Corinthians and this case here of the kingdom of heaven and the slaves... The church knows this, and they understand that it needs to be dealt with. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? You know what? I can honestly tell you, uh, 16 years as a senior pastor, I have never had anybody come and ask me to pray something tragic happens in my life, so I'll get over this. I've never had anybody ask me for that. It's kind of funny. Have you ever prayed, Lord, come and crush? So that they'll move away from their sin. You know what? You can pray that. And everybody's like, I ain't praying it because somebody could start praying it for me. <laughs> you know, we're always looking like old flower petals been rolled over by a bus. You can and you should. We pray for people all the time. Sometimes I think we pray superficially. I don't know how often you pray, Lord will come into the life of someone in sin and crush them. That sin out of them. Lord, by whatever means God would choose. I know a woman a mother who had lost contact with her son. Hadn't spoken to him in probably a little over a year. Had no idea exactly his location. Uh, I mean, no Christmas, no nothing. And she had been praying seven, eight, nine, uh, about 10 or 15 years for his salvation. And uh, <clears throat> one night she was awoken from sleep, her heart very heavy for her son. And her prayer was this, Lord, I know you love him more than I could ever love him. Please do whatever it takes to save him. The next morning, well, yeah, that following morning in a different part of the country, that son stood before a federal judge and was sentenced to 25 to 40 years for distribution of controlled substances. Some of us would look at that and say, man, that prayer got answered like really fast. But it took the prayer warrior's turn to say salvation is more important than anything else. And when that became the reality to the prayer warrior's mind, God 
basically said, watch this. And it was through that event that uh, the son did become a child of the Most High God. But I'm pretty sure that very few people are willing to step up and say, whatever it takes. But why wouldn't it even be more important that in the case of the body of Christ, if a person is staining the garment of the church, the bride of Christ, who he gave himself for, that we would not pray, God, do whatever it takes to break them of this. See, unforgiveness tears the church apart. Remember verse 11, chapter 2? It gives Satan opportunity. Bitterness of one heart spreads to many. I've seen it. It tries. And these friends in this parable basically don't want anything to do with this guy. You've seen it. I know that all many of you have been in this church for a while. You have one individual you're probably crossing through your mind on an unforgiving, bitter person. Okay, that we all, you, you know, how come you can't forgive her? And how's come I, you and then you just get to the point, you know what, I don't even want to be around you. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been around people like that? All they do is complain. I mean, th- aren't they fun? They're just a joy to be around. They just make you smile and you just think, gosh, I would like to go spend the afternoon. We just listen to you gripe all day. It'd be great. Right? I mean, you keep saying, well, this, this doesn't sound right. No, no, it's right. Trust me. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be involved with people. There's some people that I will drive around the block to make sure I miss them. Why? I don't want to hear about it. I know you guys. I can't believe the pastor just said that. <laughs> he admitted to what? Everybody watching him. He rode around the block. He didn't want to be around me. <laughs> he tells us here. He turned him over to the Lord. Said that the Lord would discipline him. You remember Paul writing to Timothy who had been in Ephesus, spent time in Ephesus. He says, Timothy, you have to deal with these confrontations at times as a pastor. And he says, I even kicked Harmenius and Alexander out. I have turned them out of the church. I have turned them over to Satan so that they will learn not to blaspheme. That man that we remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 who had been with his father's wife. And he says, you got to deal with that. See, the sinner is alienated from the fellowship. Okay, some cases it's done publicly. But what I've learned is, is that if they want to hang on to this and you keep teaching on the forgiveness of Christ, they'll leave. It gets annoying. It gets offensive. And, 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 and in some cases, they'll, they'll try to get other people's ears to, you just need to understand how I was mistreated, but I forgive them. But I was just so mistreated, and, they, and I forgive them. Okay, well, do you know it's been like 10 years? But there is a price. That's why church discipline says if the man doesn't repent, you do what? Put him out. You treat him as an unbeliever. 
treat him. You mean if you really want to be hostile about it, you treat him as a tax collector. Collector. <laughs> we all love them people. Cast them out. It's a price to pay for an unforgiving attitude. But I will tell you this, and I'll close with this thought. Ninety percent of the time, a person who holds into the bitterness, uh, this vindictive attitude, this I'm not forgiven, you don't understand how much it hurt me, or, you know, I've already forgiven them seven times 70, and they just don't get it, and they're not changing, and I ain't, I don't want to be involved with it and all the rest of it. What I've learned is if you continue the exposition of Scripture, you continue in fervent prayer, God will remove them. Um, in our community today, there is such fluff teaching that exists so many places that you can just basically find you a place and be comfortable with whatever it is you want to do. I mean, it's it's that easy. And, and they'll, they'll get out. Um, but... Uh, when you th- when you think about unforgiveness, it is easy for you to look at uh, a spouse or to look at a, a child or to look at a coworker or look at at any of these other things and say, well, they've got a heart of unforgiveness. But I would highly encourage you, first and foremost, to go look in the mirror. Because if you've ever gotten angry because of a change of plans? Why? Simple question. The Apostle Paul understood that he was nothing, he was not important, he was a man who walked in absolute humility, and if you walk in absolute humility, guess what? What can offend you? Paul wrote to the Philippian church, says, consider others more important than yourself. You know what? If you do that right there, it is impossible for anyone to offend you. (laughs) Because you just look at it as you're more important than me. And you can't do it with that attitude. Look, you're more important to me than me. If you don't believe me, ask yourself. (laughs) That's the wrong attitude. (laughs) All right? That's forgiveness, brothers and sisters. That's forgiveness. And, uh, what was that, five? Yeah, five. Oh, gosh, we only have five more to do next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you. You have cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. You have cast them into the deep. They are remembered no more. Father, I pray that each of us here this day would be overwhelmed by the vastness of our individual debts that had accumulated before our moment of salvation to you. And Father, in light of that debt, that has been forgiven in full, Lord. You would let us walk in a manner worthy of that forgiveness. May each of us be known as hearts cannot be offended and hearts that only want forgiveness.
Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just thank you for a Savior so merciful, so gracious, so powerful that we stand clothed in Christ's righteousness. Help us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.